Chapter 32 Drew could tell, the second she opened the door, that the Walk of Worlds was sick. It was the only word she could find for it. The path was still there, winding away into the distance, but it was now shrouded in clouds, fogs, and dark, forbidding mountains. As she and James started their walk, she didn't feel her power working as usual. Instead, now it felt like it was working against something. Is it supposed to look like this? James whispered. No, Drew said as they walked past a dead tree right next to the path. She could feel Penny everywhere now. Every step she took seemed to make him feel stronger and she knew he was even more powerful than ever. Penny's got almost complete control of the path now, Drew said. Does that mean we can't find him, James asked? Not really. He can't change where the road eventually goes. We'll still find him at the end of it. It's getting to the end that may be harder, Drew said. What if he conjures you like he did before? He can't now that my station has changed. His spell won't work anymore, Drew said, hoping as she said it that it was true. Just don't stray from the path. If we enter any of the worlds, I don't know if I'll be able to get back out in time. No need to worry about me. None of them look like places I'd like to visit, James said. Drew had to agree with him, and she felt sad as they walked. She'd visited many of the worlds that had now been changed into something else, something dark and twisted, and she hoped she could help them to heal from whatever damage Penny had done to them. It's cold, James said. Yes, it is, Drew said. James wasn't complaining, she thought. He was just stating a fact. She looked at him and felt a bit ashamed of herself, comparing him to Knowles. Knowles had been through a lot to make him into who he was. James was much more fortunate in that his family was considered well-off, and he didn't need to join an army or fight in any bloody battles. As far as she knew, James had never killed anybody. Unlike Knowles, who she felt had killed many people doing his duty as a soldier. James had a sturdy strength, she thought, and he'd never quite lose that innocence that he possessed. He'd always be true to himself, loyal to those he felt were worthy to be his friends, slow to get angry, resolute when necessary. We can still go back, Drew said. Why would we do that, James asked. It's just, you know, you don't want me to die, James asked. Of course I don't want you to die, Drew said, and realized how strongly she felt that way as she said it. He stepped in front of her and faced her, and she stopped. He was smiling, and he leaned forward and kissed her quickly, so quickly that she didn't have time to react before he pulled away. I know you mean that. I'm glad, he said. She stood there, a bit astonished, and his face turned a bright red again, and she realized her mysterious power, different from her other power, was back and in full force. He looked away, and she stepped forward, going up on her tiptoes, touching his cheek and turning his head so she could kiss him back. This time it lasted a bit longer. 
She could feel his breath on her cheek, feel his heart beating in his lips, smell him all around her. He resisted only for a second, unsure what she was doing before giving in to her kiss, putting his arms around her, the thick leather of the breastplate itching against her chest. She pulled away after a long moment and smiled, looking into his eyes. Good, was all she said. He laughed, and Drew started walking again, James falling back into step beside her. They didn't talk for a long while, but she felt words were not necessary. They seemed to have a deeper communication now, and words would have been insufficient anyway. Something was approaching them from up the path. Tiny flickering lights, thousands of them. What's that? James asked. His hand dropped to the hilt of his sword, and Drew managed not to chuckle at the gesture. Instead, she reached out with her power and touched them. Fairies, she said. They're running from something. Fairies can use the path, James asked. Yes. They can't make one, but they can find it if it's there. Lots of creatures can. That sounds like it could be dangerous, James said. Well, most of them are harmless, like fairies, Drew said, as the cloud of flickering fairy lights reached them. The creatures flickered about, some of them hovering a few inches from their faces, and she could get a good look at the tiny, human-like creatures with the rapidly fluttering wings. She could sense their fear. What happened, Drew asked. One of the creatures came closer, almost landing on her nose. It looked like a tiny woman, glowing with a yellowish light, her dragonfly-like wings fluttering. She felt a gentle tickle in her mind, the creature asking to be allowed to speak to her directly, and Drew admitted her. She could see the world they were fleeing, either the world where she and James had their picnic or one very much like it. It was burning, shrinking, almost at the point where it would disappear completely. Their world is being destroyed, Drew told James. You didn't already know that, he asked. There aren't any humans there, so no, Drew said. She looked at the creature and felt it, along with the thousands of others watching her. I'm on my way now to fix it, Drew said. After I do, I'll help you to find a new home. The fairy hovered there longer and Drew sensed the question that she was asking. No, it will be too dangerous, she said, glancing over at James. She's volunteering to come with us. It might come in handy to have someone who is small and can fly around, James said. It would be too dangerous, Drew said again. The rest of the fairies flew past her, but that one remained hovering there in Drew's side. Okay, come on. She started back down the path, James and the fairy following. Something's wrong, James said after they'd walked a while further. Of course something's wrong. That's why we're here, Drew said. No, I mean beyond that. It's a lot harder to walk than it should be, don't you think? That's, Drew was about to say silly, but she stopped herself. It did seem to take more effort just to take a step, she thought. I don't know, she said instead. The fairy had landed on Drew's shoulder and sat there as they walked, sometimes whispering something directly into Drew's mind. The path itself was getting darker. There were more trees, and they crowded closer to the road. Many of them were branches overhanging. The trees looked old and twisted. 
and their branches were often so thick they couldn't see the night sky through them. I think Penny did this, Drew finally said. We knew that all along, didn't we? James asked. No, I mean the problem with the road. He's why it's sick. What he did, what he's doing, it's unnatural. It broke down the barriers between the alternate realities. He's weakened the structure of the entire multiverse, and they're all mingling together. What could happen, James asked, glancing around, his right hand almost casually lingering near the hilt of his sword. I don't know. Nobody's ever done it before. Nobody even knew it could be done. Maybe that's why he did it, James said. He didn't know that he couldn't. Maybe, Drew said. Outside of the little bit that I give him, he hasn't had any formal training. There's a lot he doesn't know. And that's how we'll beat him, James said, and Drew laughed in spite of her being so tired. Yes, she added, and James chuckled too. They walked a bit farther, saying nothing else for several steps. Stop, Drew said. James stopped. What's wrong, he asked. We should be coming out of the trees by now. Look ahead, are they changing? The fairy took off from her shoulder, flitting down the path before Drew could stop her, sending back what she was seeing directly to her mind. What is she seeing, James asked. The trees were, indeed, different a bit further up the path. The trees have changed. They're more twisted or something. She could feel something, too. Darkness, a force that lived there, something full of hunger and hatred for things that were not rooted into the ground. Something flashed across the fairy's eyes quickly, and Drew could tell it was the tip of a branch. One of the trees had swatted at her. They can move, Drew said. The fairy turned and flew a little closer to one side of the path, seeing something there, and Drew saw it too. It was a man, or what was left of one. The limbs from one of the trees were twisted all around and through his body, and the side of his face was merging with the bark of the tree. It was slowly eating him. Fortunately, she thought the man was dead. Unfortunately, the trees would, the trees would do the same thing to her, James, and their fairy friend, too, if they could. Move, James asked. How can they move? They're trees. They can move their branches. Be careful where they hang over the path. That won't be easy. She had to agree. Through the fairy's eye, she could see the twisted, dark forest extended for a long way along the path. We're going to have to go through it, Drew said. Fine, James said, drawing his sword. What are you going to do with that? Drew asked. You enchanted it, didn't you? It should be able to cut through a few branches. It's more than a few, James. It's a lot. It goes on for miles. Can't you do something then? Maybe. I could burn them away from the path, but I think they'd grow back quickly. How do you know that? Because Penny did this, and that is something he would give them. She recalled the fairy, who returned and landed on Drew's shoulder again. He had to know that you could handle it, James said. Yes, he did, but it'll force me to use my power. It'll drain me. That's what he wants. She gathered her power, bracing herself. Get ready to run. Don't stop until I tell you. She never amassed that much raw power before. When she had as much as she felt she could handle, she blasted it ahead down the path. 
She could almost hear the trees screaming as they were engulfed in the sudden violent flames that scorched along the path. Run, Drew shouted, not waiting to see if he did before she started running herself. The devastation she'd unleashed was moving quickly, and they couldn't keep up with it, and running as fast as she could, she could feel the forest behind it, healing itself behind her, the twisty trees regrowing their limbs, overhanging the path, their hatred of free-moving things now mixed with rage at their injury. They emerged from the trees after what felt like miles and miles and collapsed on the path, both of them panting, exhausted from their running. The fairy hovered over both of them, circling around the path, keeping an eye out for any more danger as they rested. We need to get moving again, Drew finally said, able now to speak without gasping. Yes, James said, climbing to his feet, offering a hand to help her get up too. They started out again, leaving the twisted forest behind, not speaking as they went on their way. The fairy resumed sitting on Drew's shoulder. They walked for a long time, the only sounds of their breathing and their footsteps, walking among ruined landscape with some twisted but unmoving trees here and there, along with the planets and the stars. After what could have been several hours, Drew was having problems telling how much time had passed. They could see another strange thing. A few yards ahead, they could see the path continuing over on a bridge over a big gap almost a crack which ran along the ground. The foot of the bridge was a few yards away from them. Have you ever seen that before? James asked. No, Drew said. It looks deep. They reached to the, the foot of the bridge and stopped, Drew looking over the edge. I can't see the bottom. Careful, James said. Don't stand too close. I'm fine, Drew said. The fairy took off from her shoulder, fluttering down the side of the chasm, and they stood there waiting, watching the glow from the little creature grow dimmer as she went deeper and deeper into the chasm. Has she come to some harm? James eventually asked. No, Drew said. I'm in communication with her. Not that there was much to see. There was a heavy fog, and the walls of the place were dark and rocky, and the fairy flew deeper into the chasm. Wait, Drew said. What? I'm just standing here, James said. Not you, Drew said. The fairy, hearing her, paused, hovering there next to the wall. There's something down there, some kind of animal. You'd better come back up. The fairy refused, wanting to get a better look. No, come back up here. We'll deal with it, Drew said. The fairy still refused, flying further down. Something was moving in the heavy fog, something stirring it from underneath. Something big, Drew thought. She reached down with her power, trying to find out what it was. We have a problem, she said after a moment. What's wrong, James asked. My power, it's, it's not as strong as it was. Are you sure? You just used a lot of it. Shouldn't it come back soon? That's part of it, and I don't feel any weaker, really. It's just... That's it. It's not that I'm weaker. It's that everything else is stronger. That can't be good, James said. I still have my power and my training, and I have you with your sword, Drew, at, Drew said, and James smiled at her. That's when it happened. So quickly she almost missed it. 
Through the fairy's eyes, she saw a rapid movement, an approaching circle of darkness, and the fairy was suddenly gone. Drew staggered, feeling a quick burst of agony as the little creature died. What's wrong, James asked, catching her elbow as she almost collapsed. The fairy, she's gone. It ate her, or one of them ate her. Is it one thing or a lot of things, James asked. Drew let out her breath slowly and was a little proud of herself that it didn't come out as a sob. It seems to be both, a lot of things that make up one thing. Is there any other way to get where we need to go, James asked. No, we can't stray from the path or we'll never find it again. We have to take the bridge. And when we do, this thing will rise up and attack us like a trap. Not like a trap, James. It is a trap. Penny set this up. This means he's controlling the thing somehow. What do we do? Drew stood there and took another slow, deep breath. We go on. Draw your sword, she said. Just remember, we don't need to kill it or them. Whatever. We just need to get across. James nodded, drawing his sword, holding it a little awkwardly. I'm ready, he said, and his face turned bright red again. What do we do? Let's cross this bridge, she said. Chapter 33 Drew discovered it wasn't an ordinary bridge when they first set foot on it. Each step seemed to cause a musical tone to emerge from the wood. As they walked, it seemed to produce a symphony of sounds. It wasn't a pleasant symphony. Drew found it disturbing. It sounded wrong, even though every note seemed to be in key with the others. Is it supposed to do that? Make that noise? James whispered. I think so. There's a reason for it, Drew whispered back. She could feel the creature or creatures stirring deep below. They still had a long way to go, and she knew if they started running it wouldn't make any difference. It may, in fact, make things worse. It's coming. Be ready, Drew said. Do you have any idea what it is? James asked. No, I've never sensed anything like it. So you have no idea how to fight it, James said. Penny put it here to stop me, or at least slow me down. My power may not be enough, and it's still drained, too. Keep your sword ready. It was closer. As they walked, their steps making the awful music, she could feel it getting nearer and nearer. It also got darker, the fogs growing thicker, and she felt the fog was part of the thing, where it hid to strike from concealment. Something moved up ahead, stirring the fog just underneath the bridge, and she felt it was just a trick to get their attention, while a real attack... She spun around quickly and saw it behind them coming quickly. Behind us, she shouted as James turned, bringing up his sword. It looked like a mass of swirling, ropey tentacles, each of them ending in a mouth filled with long, needle-like teeth. Some of them were small, no bigger than a finger, while others were big, big enough to swallow a person whole, Drew thought. She reached out with her power, hoping to stop it or them, until she had a better idea. The mass slowed, but it didn't stop. I'm not strong enough, she said. It feels like my power is blunted or something. 
The nearest thing lunged at James, and he lashed out with the sword, cutting off the end. It fell onto the bridge, making its own contribution to the music, trailing a black ichor that stained the wood, rolling to a stop at their feet. Drew watched the stump of the thing, thinking it would die, but instead it writhed a bit before another mouth appeared where the first had been cut off. Another one lunged at him, and Drew hit it with her power. The first few feet of the thing vanished with a faint explosive popping sound as she turned to, to dust, but it also started to grow back. They keep growing back, Drew said. She glanced back towards the way the direction they needed to go and saw another mass of tentacles approaching from that direction. We're cut off, she said. How does it know where we are? They don't have any eyes, James said, whipping his sword around, lopping off the ends of two more of the things. Drew glanced at the severed ends of the things lying at her feet. You're right, she said. The thing looked like it was all mouth and teeth. That's why the bridge makes the noises, Drew said, flashing another couple of the things away. It uses its hearing. It knows where we are because of the noises we make. It can tell from the pitch of the noises where we are on the bridge. We can't not make noise, James said. The music the bridge made continued as they fought the things, turning, lashing, and lunging. James's swings with the blade were getting weaker as he grew tired. Andrew's bursts of power were coming slower and were less and less effective, too. The things didn't seem to be suffering any losses, either, and more of them seemed to be rising from the darkness below the bridge. Drew noticed the things seemed to be careful not to touch the bridge, not to make any noises of their own to avoid confusing them. Don't speak. Make as little noise as you can. I'm going to try something, Drew said. Keep them off of me. James nodded, stepping closer to her, glancing wildly around while she stopped fighting the things, concentrating on what she needed to do. At first she thought she'd dampen their own noises and cause other noises to appear back the way they'd come, but then she'd have to concentrate on two different things at once. Her father had always told her to try to make things simple when she could. She closed her eyes, trusting James to keep the things away while she worked. She felt the structure of the bridge, the carefully tuned pieces of wood that constructed it, that were sensitive to being touched, but at the same time strong enough to support anyone who tried to cross. She could see the structure and see where their impacts on the wood caused it to make the sounds that drew the tentacle things. Trying to ignore the sounds of the things swirling around her, ignoring James's panting as he grew tired, trying not to imagine one of the things getting through James's protection and grabbing her, she directed her power towards the vibrations of their steps, changing it so that the sounds came from the other end, back towards the way they had come. She opened her eyes as the sounds of the attacks grew quieter. The things had stopped moving, and she could almost feel them, listening. She started tapping her toes, and she could hear it, the same musical tone over and over again in time with her tapping, but not from under her foot, but from up the way they had come. She grabbed James, holding a finger across her lips since their voices would still give them away. She looked, he looked at her and nodded as she started running for the end of the bridge. He joined her, running alongside of her as the sounds of their fight, flight made caused the things to attack the empty air 
at the other end of the bridge. The sounds of their running went into the other direction, drawing the creatures further away as they swirled around the bridge. They finally reached the other side, and Drew never thought she'd be so glad to feel solid rock under her feet. They turned, both of them breathing heavily, and looked back. The things were so thick at the other end, they were a solid mass of swirling tentacles, and she remembered when she'd first come to live with her father, when he'd freed her from the asteroids. I think we're okay for now, she said, but I need to rest. Me too, James said, but let's get further away from this place first. Good idea, Drew said, turning and starting back down the road, promising herself she could tell the other fairies of the one who had died so bravely to help them. They found a place. After walking for another hour, it was flat enough for James to dig, out, dig a pit in the ground in the middle of the path and start a campfire. While he worked, Drew dug through her bag and came out with a small package of bacon and some diced potatoes along with flasks full of water. That bag of yours is very useful, James said, frying the bacon in an iron skillet she pulled out of the bag. Yes, it is, Drew said. The bacon smells wonderful. I didn't know how hungry I was until I started cooking it. Me too, Drew said. How much farther do we have to go, James asked, breaking a couple of eggs into the skillet. Not much farther. I think we'll be there in another hour or so. Do you think he knows we're coming? Almost certainly, Drew said. Maybe we shouldn't interfere, James said, flipping the eggs with a spatula Drew had also pulled from her bag. What? Drew asked. Don't you want revenge on the person who killed your brother? Yes, James said. You said he wants to make the world a better place. What's bad about that? It's not a bad thing, but he wants to remake the entire universe. He wants to change everything. So, there's a lot of things I'd change if I could. He started dishing the bacon and eggs onto a pair of plates. Me too, but that's not how it works. And there's a reason for things working like they do. Nobody is smart enough to remake the universe, James. If he succeeds, he'll wind up making things worse. Acts have consequences, and consequences have consequences. So, that's the way the world works anyway. Sure, but there's more to it than that. I don't think Penny is human anymore. What makes you say that? He's been touching the mind of this creature, this thing he's going to use to get what he wants. I've experienced it myself, just for a few seconds, but he's been exposed to it a lot longer. That, and what he's been doing to gain more power, has changed him. I see, James said. Those things at the bridge were created by him too, I'm almost certain. He didn't just come across them and use them, he made them from the deepest, darkest corners of his mind, if that gives you some sort of idea of what he's like now. James didn't say anything, but she saw him shiver as he considered the thought. The bacon is delicious, True said, eating a piece of it. Thank you, James said, digging into the food himself. Have I answered your question? He laughed. Yes, I was just asking you to be sure how you felt about it. I haven't changed my mind. You thought maybe I was thinking about not killing him? He's your friend, 
for a long time your only friend. I'd understand it if you wanted to give him the benefit of a doubt. Well, I did for a long time. That's why we're in this situation now, Drew said. I could have killed him any number of times. Father told me to, but I didn't. I regret it now. It's what makes you who you are, Drew. I hope you never lose it. Lose what? Weakness? Poor judgment? Pity and understanding, James said. He ate the last of his food. What should we do with the dishes? Just leave them, Drew said, gulping down the last of her own food and standing up, leaving her plate on the ground. James did kick dirt over the fire, putting it out, even though there was no danger of it spreading beyond the little pit he dug for it. Chapter 34 They continued walking into gathering darkness, the path stretching out in front of them. Drew reached out just off the path and touched the worlds they were passing through with her fingertips, sensing them, feeling what was happening there. Death in all of them, she felt. Diseases running rampant, wars flaring up again over causes that were either long since settled or were forgotten entirely. Hatred everywhere and greed beyond all reason and understanding. She didn't know how much of it was caused by what Penny was doing and how much had always been there with Penny only bringing it to the surface. She didn't speak to James as they walked, which made her feel bad. She knew he would be dead soon, and he knew it too. She just didn't know what to say. James seemed to understand and didn't press her to say anything at all. Instead, he drew his sword and held it all, his sword and held it all the time now. Drew had to say she felt threatened, too, as they grew closer to the end of their road, like danger was all around, just out of sight, waiting for them to stop paying attention before attacking. The path began to glow brighter, and they could see, it, see down it further. Finally, James stopped and pointed in the direction they were headed. Am I seeing that right? he asked. Drew looked where he was pointing. If you're asking me if it looks like the path bends until it's going straight up into the sky after a couple of miles, I'd say yes, you're seeing it right, Drew said. They stood there and Drew watched the path, the part they could see that extended into the sky. While she watched it moved slightly, growing a little shorter. I bet it goes all the way to that thing in space, she said. I guess that makes sense. How are we going to get up there, James asked. She glanced at him, not wanting to say that when they got there to that point, he'd probably already be dead. We'll figure that out when we get there, she said instead. After they walked a while longer, Drew could see the place where the path bent upwards. There's something there, Drew said. It looks like a building of some kind. Or the ruins of one, James said. It looks like it used to be a temple. Have there ever been buildings on the path before? No, but I've never been this far before, Drew said. What do you think it is? I think it's where we're going to find Penny, Drew said, walking a bit faster. James walked faster, too, keeping up with her, glancing around, holding his sword at the ready, but Drew felt they were beyond any traps or other threats now. The only thing remaining was Penny himself. As they got closer, she realized something was very familiar to her about the building. It reminded her of something she'd seen a long time ago. 
It reminded her, she soon realized, of the place where she and her father had encountered Kula, the same place where they'd met Penny. The same altar was there, the place that held the bloated, fish-like body of Kula before. Now she could see in the glow from the path that passed beneath it before bending upwards and reaching into the sky, there was something else there on that altar, the figure of a person standing on top of it. A tall figure, a man in heavy robes, and as soon as they got close enough to step into the circle of stones that surrounded the area and torches immediately flared to life all around, she could see that it was Penny. He was facing them, smiling. Hello, old friend, he called, his voice echoing. Penny, Drew said, and she could hear tears in her voice in spite of herself. She summoned her power and prepared to strike at him, knowing that even as she did that he was strong enough to brush off any attack from her. You brought your friend along. What's his name? Penny asked, stepping down from the altar. James, she said. You killed my brother, James said. I'm sorry, I don't remember it. Who was your brother? Penny said. His name was Gerald, and you killed him at Margincourt. Oh, yes, I remember. I'm sorry about that, Penny said. Drew glanced at James and saw confusion on his face. What's wrong, she asked him. He's lying, James said. But it's strange. He doesn't know he's lying. What? Drew started to ask, but before she could finish it, there was a brilliant flash of light. As she watched, James's body just collapsed into dust, the forces that held it together taken away by Penny. The sword she, he was holding, the one she'd enchanted, dropped to the stone floor with a loud clank. He didn't feel anything at all, Penny said, coming towards her. If there's an afterlife, he probably doesn't even know he's in it yet. It's supposed to make me feel better, Drew asked, feeling a rage gripper as, as her realization hit her. James was dead. Penny had killed him. The fact that they had both known all along that this was going to happen did nothing to make her feel better about it or make her more ready to accept it. I was just trying to help, Penny said. What are you going to do anyway with that thing up there, Drew asked. When it gets a little closer... I'm going to replace its mind with my own, taking over its power and adding mine to it. How are you going to do that? Drew asked. It was difficult to think. She kept glancing over at the place where James had been standing just a few seconds earlier and the sword lying there on the floor, the hilt a bit warm from where his hand had clasped it. It's asleep. I'll be able to get past its defenses, Penny said. I've studied it a little myself, Penny, Drew said. I think you're underestimating it. What do you propose I do then? Sever its connection to the path. Let it go on its way where it won't have any impact on our world at all. Penny laughed. I've sacrificed too much to do that. She touched his mind, surprised that he would allow it, and what she saw frightened her. Penny, you're not the person I used to know, she said. I'm even more the person you knew, Penny said. Soon everyone will know me. Are you sure, Drew asked? James could detect falsehood. When you say you killed his brother, he said you were lying, but you didn't know it. Why? He was wrong, Penny said. Was he? He's never been wrong before, Drew said. 
I think you did kill a Gerald, just not the one that was my James's brother. You're one of the alternate pennies. What? That's crazy, Drew, Penny said, and she could sense his distress. It makes sense, Drew said. You're being used. There's another Penny, my Penny, behind all this, hiding somewhere. How does this make sense, Penny asked, growing angry and impatient with her. You won't be able to get past this thing's defenses and you know it, or rather he does. The Penny I knew would understand that. You're underestimating me, Penny said. It's asleep, but it'll wake up enough to eat something it can sense. That would be you. You're strong enough now for it to notice you. It'll gobble you up. What? If what you're saying is true, how would that help another me? As it digested you, took your power for its own, he could approach it and get inside of it because it wouldn't be able to tell him from you. He'd be able to get into it and do what you may do what you say you want to do. As it takes your power, he'll be able to manipulate it, use it to take over. That doesn't, Penny started to say, and then stopped. She could almost see him thinking over what she'd said, considering it, and realizing that everything she'd said was true. Well, this certainly makes things more complicated. There was another voice, a man's voice, coming from behind her, and Drew didn't need to look to know it was another penny. She turned anyway. He was there, stepping over James's sword, wearing the same heavy robes the other penny was wearing. There was one difference, though, between this penny and the other one. What's wrong with your eyes? Drew asked. His eyes were huge, dark, and bumpy, and looked more like an insect's eyes, she thought. That's one of the side effects of studying our friend up there. You're not human anymore, she said, and he laughed. I'm not worried about it. It's something I can fix. What? What is this? The first penny asked, and she could feel his power rising and focusing, preparing to strike. The second penny raised his hand and directed his own power towards the first, freezing him in mid-gesture. It would have been easier for you to just go to our friend up there and let it eat you. Now it's now it'll be a little more difficult. He looked at Drew and smiled and winked at her with one of those strange big eyes. She smiled at him and reached out with her own power, but not towards him. She touched James's sword, gripping it with her mind, flinging it as hard as she could at the first penny, the one held motionless in front of the alt altar. The defenseless one. She guided the sword hoping she could do what she needed to do faster than the second penny could free enough of his attention from holding the first penny motionless to stop her. The enchanted sword flew through the air and she used it to slash at the first penny's motionless body. She could tell it hit the mark, felt it bite deep and cut through Penny's body, severing tendon, bone, muscle. No, the second penny screamed, realizing too late what she was doing. She turned to face him again, releasing her hold on the blade, hearing it hit the stone floor, followed a couple of seconds later by the slight, slight thud of the first penny's now lifeless body. The second penny, her penny, Drew reminded herself, sank down until he was sitting on the stone floor, 
staring at the place behind her where the first Penny's body was lying on the floor along with the sword. I can't do it now, Penny said, turning to look at her with those strange eyes. It won't work without him. What do I do? He cradled his head with his gloved hands, the fingers even longer than they were before and seeming to bend in strange ways. You let him have some of your power, didn't you? Drew asked. Yes. He didn't know it, though. Reclaim it and help me to fight this thing. Together, maybe we're strong enough to drive it away. What? We're nowhere near strong enough. We still have to try, Penny, Drew said. You want to make things right? Then help me do this. He looked at her a moment longer before extending a hand, palm facing towards the first Penny's body, fingers all extended and spread apart, and Drew could feel the power that remained for now in that body flowing from it towards the second Penny, merging with what was already there. I'm sorry, Drew, Penny said, tears running down his cheeks as he took in the liberated power from the other Penny. I did all this for you. I was going to make things so much better. I know, Drew said. I do appreciate it. You're the only friend I've ever had. You're the only friend I've ever had, he said, and he smiled. And for a second, he reminded Drew of the old Penny, the one who was still dangerous, but willing to learn and just needing a friend. Remember Kula, Penny, she asked as he closed his eyes, taking in more of the power from the other Penny. Of course, Penny said. Remember how father killed him? He was busy draining you so he couldn't defend himself. I remember something about that, Penny said. Why? Drew didn't say anything. Instead, she brought her full power, her power to full force, and gestured towards him with one hand, closing her fist, causing her power to grip Penny. As he tried to react to free his own power from what, she was, what it was doing, she flung her arm upwards. Penny's body shot straight up, right along the path that reached towards the sky. She gave it another boost, lifting Penny, feeling him getting closer to the creature that lurked at the end of the path. As Penny got nearer to it, and as his power grew stronger, she could feel the creature stirring, awakening from a deep sleep, emerging into a light slumber. She knew it could sense him, knew he was getting closer to it, and it was getting hungry. The thing reached out quickly with its own immense power, grabbing Penny and gulping him down before he could react. Drew stood there, releasing her power, and felt it when Penny died inside the creature and waited until his hold over the walk of worlds loosened. It didn't take long. She felt her power over the place returning, could feel again where she could influence it, make it go where she wanted to go. She closed her eyes and willed the path to move from where it linked to the creature, cutting it off, having it go in a different direction. The creature's connection to any of the worlds that she was supposed to protect was gone. Since Penny was now dead, she didn't think it was very likely that it would ever be restored. She could feel the effects from the creature fading quickly, and she walked over and sat on the altar, trying not to look at what was left of the first Penny's body, James's sword, and closed her eyes, reaching out with her power again. She could feel it working, restoring the path, separating the worlds again, and putting everything back in its place. She found a place where she and James had their last meal together, 
the pans, dishes, and remains of the fire still there, and she resolved to gather up the dishes when she passed through to save them as a tribute to James. She found the place where the musical bridge spanned the chasm where the brave fairy had died, and she could find no trace of the guardian now, and decided she was right, that Penny had created the creature himself. Now that he was gone, it was too. Her mind flashed past a world where she'd encountered Knowles, and she felt the war there, flaring up yet again, and knew it probably wouldn't stop this time until all the people there were dead. She found another place, a world that had no human life but plenty of animals and plants, and decided to let the fairies know about it. It would, she decided, be perfect to them for them. Finally, she reached all the way where their power back to Marginecore and knew the walk of the worlds had been restored. She knew she could simply will herself to be there, to go in an instant from one end of the walk of the worlds all the way back to Marginecore, but she decided she needed to walk. She got up and started walking. Chapter 35 Drew found the place where Penny had met her before, the place where the earthquake happened. She found the same diner, rebuilt apparently with new owners, and sat at one of the tables outside and sipped a latte in the mid-afternoon sun. She'd conjured a comb that cleaned her hair, washcloths to help remove some of the grime, so most of the people sitting at the other tables didn't give her a second look. She hoped she wouldn't meet any of the people she'd helped rescue before, and as far as she could tell, she didn't. She got up and walked the streets for a little while, looking at the buildings, seeing where many had been rebuilt. One or two had simply been torn down and not replaced by anything. Others were still standing, with tape across their front doors warning anyone who would go inside that the building was unstable. It was a quiet place, and she could feel that the place was healing. The earthquake had not been forgotten, but the damage it had done had mostly been repaired. It was good to see that the damage Penny had done could be healed, that Penny had caused the earthquake she did not doubt. She got back onto the Walk of Worlds and let her fingers brush the places she passed through as she continued her way home. The sickness she felt was fading quickly, her power was asserting itself as it should, and there, was, there were no more wars or famines or plagues than usual, which, to her mind, was still entirely too many, but these would have happened without Penny's interference and were not really something she could concern herself with. What's more important, she thought, was she could no longer feel Penny anywhere. The wounds he'd inflicted on the world would, be, would leave scars, she knew, but they would now begin to heal. As she drew nearer to Marginecore, she felt that more and more time had passed since she'd left. She stood at the door. At the end of the path, she felt like it had been years since she'd come through it, going the other way with James. She found her key and unlocked the door, stepping through back into Marginecore. There was a fire in the fireplace, and the room was clean, not dusty at all. She wasn't expecting it to be maintained since she'd freed the Inklings, but apparently at least one had remained. Lala, she called, crossing the door to the Walker Worlds, glancing around the room. 
The door to the hall opened and the inkling stuck her head in. Ma'am, you're back. How long was I gone? Drew asked. Six years, Lala said, coming into the room. She appeared to be delighted, Drew thought. Six years, Drew said, going over and settling in one of the dining room chairs next to the table. Why are you here? I am here because I want to be here, as are some of the others, Lala said. We keep this place clean and ready for your return, as a tribute to our freedom. Thank you, Drew said, and Lala curtsied. I'm glad you survived, ma'am, Lala said. Since Master James is not with you, I take it he did not. You are right, he didn't, Drew said, feeling a sudden stabbing pain of loss. And Master Penny also did not survive? He's dead. Destroyed. Good. That one was bad. Very bad, Lala said, and Drew laughed, surprising herself at her ability to do so. Would you want something to eat, ma'am? No, I'm fine. I just want to take a long, hot bath, Drew said. You can leave, or stay if you want. Thank you, ma'am, Lala said. I have a son now. I'll be going home to him since you won't be needing me. You have a child, Drew said? Please bring him by when you can. I'd love to see him. I would be delighted, Lala said, said curtsying again. I'll be leaving you now. Good night, ma'am. Lala left, closing the door, and suddenly it grew very quiet. Drew got up and stretched and reached out to explore Marginkor with her mind. She could feel a couple of other inklings about the place, could sense that they were busy cleaning or putting things away. There were a couple of other people, too. One was up on the roof, working to repair some damage from a recent storm, she felt. Bree was in the library, looking through some new books, deciding where they would go on the shelves. The horses were in their stable, being tended by one of the stable boys, she could tell. They were quite calm and content, and she found it relaxing to experience their minds for a brief time. To her surprise, she could even sense the Goloth deep down in his chamber, and knew that he felt it when she touched his mind. She felt a brief, welcoming touch, like a hug from an old friend, and she knew he would be there, more than happy to hear about everything that had happened when she was ready. Drew went into the bathroom and filled the tub, adding the herbs and other ingredients that would keep the asteroids away. She found the smell of the herbs, as well as the feel of the hot water on her skin, to be a familiar, relaxing thing. And as she soaked in the tub, she added more hot water two more times as it grew too cool. She slipped on one of her father's old robes and came back into the rooms and realized that she would need to stop thinking that way. It wasn't her father's robe anymore. It was hers. Marginkor was not her father's home anymore. It was hers. She felt like Marginkor itself knew that and was adjusting itself to her ownership. She felt at home more than ever as she combed her hair sitting in front of the mirror at the dresser. Mirrors. She looked over at the other one in the room, the big one against the far wall the one that was covered with a heavy cloth. She got up and walked over to it and reached out to pull the cover away, wondering what it would reveal this time. A small child? A scared teenager? 
some unrecognizable monster warped beyond recognition by all the things she'd done in the line of duty. She thought about James. She'd warned him that he would die, but he went anyway, and it was a good thing that he did. She resolved to go to the village the next day to visit James's home and let his family know what had happened to him. And Penny, who, besides James, was the only friend she'd ever truly had, she'd betrayed him at the end, making him think that she would forgive him to get him to drop his guard. She was the only person who would have gotten him to do that, the only person in the whole universe he trusted. She realized then that he trusted her even more than he did himself, quite literally. She thought of her father, the first person she'd ever killed personally. She knew there would be many others. There'd be no way around it. She thought of the Inklings, free, some of them choosing to stay anyway, expressing their gratitude for their freedom. Mary, her mother, moving on with her life, the loss of her first child, a scarred over wound in her soul that radiated a now familiar pain that was now a part of her, that belonged, and helped her to appreciate her new children and her new life. The poor fairy, eaten by the creature from Penny's nightmares, giving her life to help Drew in a quest the poor little creature probably didn't understand. Even the alien, godlike creature itself, now cut off completely from their world, maybe never able to return. It would need a doorway to come back through, and hopefully no one would provide it with one. Still, it had grabbed poor Penny and gobbled him up, and she knew it would find his power quite filling and satisfying for some time to come. All of these things had led her here, to Margincourt, to stand before this mirror and reach out with a trembling hand to remove the covering and see what would be reflected back at her. She stood there, her hands shaking, tears drying on her cheeks, and stared at her reflection. Not a monster, not a frightened child, not an awkward teenager. Not the sorcerer's daughter, either, but the sorcerer. The end. Hello, this is J. Franklin Evans. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stories That Suck. Did it suck? Let me know. Be sure to like and subscribe.